Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so, so glad to have Jen Grace Perrin here with me from uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome to my podcast, Jen. Oh, that's nice. It's great to be here. Really honored. Thank you. And also we have a, have a joint friend in, in Zoe Chance, uh, who, who is a professor and persuasion expert at Yale University, right? I met her recently in, in Milan. It was really, really a, a pleasure. So I'm so super excited also to talk to you and to discover your world and who you are and what you are doing and why, especially. But just as a short uh, intro, Jane Grace Barron is the co-CEO and chief growth officer of InspireCore, an inspiration strategy firm that partners with organizations to drive business growth and also innovation. So let's jump right into um, what you are an expert in, inspiration. I've, I've looked up this, you know, word inspire, that it comes from the Latin inspirare, which really means to breathe in or to blow into. So when, when you are like inspired, you are etymologically having an idea breathed into you, literally. Why did you choose to specialize or work in that field? Yes, Vesna, thank you. So after working in big organizations for my entire career, Seven years ago, I had the idea that I could build something that was better than than what I was offered. I was on the buying side in organizations and worked in, in learning and development and organization development, leadership development. And I had the idea that we could build something that was better than what existed. And so I got together with my two co-founders, Sandy Spataro and Allison Holzer, and we spent a long weekend asking the question, what would wild success for our organization or a a firm that we would start, what would that look like? Many, many ideas came forward. Some of the successes that we had witnessed in our careers, some of the really, you know, best of the best leaders and teams and even, you know, entire organizations that we assessed were like the epitome of health and performance. And so as we're going through this list of of what does it look like at its best, the word inspiration kept coming up. And we were so curious. And so the first thing we did is we we went straight to the social science literature, the leadership literature, and organization-developed literature to find out who had studied inspiration and what had they found. And it it was seven years ago. It was in, in 2013 that we we found that not much had been studied on inspiration. There was very little that existed. And we we at first thought that's really a shame and quickly saw it as an opportunity. So that that was really where the initial idea came from. It was our early, early brainstormings for our company. And But how do you define inspiration? Yeah, so it, it took some research, some original research on our part. Because as you said, you went, you went to the dictionary definition and what you probably found is even Webster himself ha- has a bit of trouble defining inspiration uh, without using the word. So we, we really started with our own research and understanding people's lived experience of inspiration. And the definition that came forward 
and this is this is featured very early on in our book as as we're helping to redefine how to think about inspiration in organizations. If you imagine a Venn diagram, we define inspiration as a cross between possibility and invincibility. So those are two of the circles that overlap. So possibility is the creative, almost ideation or idea generation. It's prospecting into the future, thinking of possibilities that could occur in the future. But what's very distinct about inspiration is that simultaneously what happens is an invincibility or an activation of courage where you can't help but take action on something. You can't help but assume a leadership or an ownership role in making an idea come into reality. There's a third piece of our definition of inspiration that came forward in our interviews, and it is that inspiration is actually agentic. It's something that instead of it happening to us, which is how we've traditionally thought about inspiration, how inspiration actually happens in organizations is that people, they strategically produce it for themselves and their teams. So there is a way that it becomes sustainable through design. So that's the third circle in the Venn diagram. It's possibility, invincibility, and then designing it sustainably. Oh, that's good to hear because uh, <laughs> then you have have more control and you can actually work on it as, as on any muscle, right? And to make sure that you, you yourself and other people can be inspired more often than not, right? Yes. Muscle is a great analogy. We actually do, we, we do believe that you can control, we call it your inspiration quotient, your IQ, and that includes how often you're inspired and it includes the intensity with which you're inspired. And so both of those are, they're controllable. And uh, especially in, in times that are challenging, like, like these ones now, I'm just thinking many, many of, of the companies I normally work with and so on, everybody is some, in some kind of mode that you could say, okay, we're trying to do everything to just safeguard our company and save it uh, so that we can survive these coming whatever, X months, quarters and so on. And everything else seems to be you know, parked or put in the freezer for now. Is, is all these kind of work that you're working with it with companies and so on, doomed as or, or, or just as something that we can do later and think about later because now it's just a survival mode? It's an interesting question. And I would push to say that well, there's a chapter five in our book is actually on, you know, how situations can create inspiration. So there are three distinct categories of how we, we get inspired. One is through ourselves, there are ways that we inspire ourselves. Another distinct category is ways that we're inspired in relationships or through others and with others. And then the third category is environments that are inspiring to us. And one of those environments is, is certain situations. We were a bit surprised that not too long into our interviews, some of what people find most inspiring in their whole lives, when asked the question, are some of the hardest times that they had been through or had survived? So we knew that you know inspiration actually is really complex and deep in um, in how it works. It's not just smiley. It's not just about the good times. 
It's not, you know, you, something you do when it's convenient. It's actually a really critical foundation for healthy humans. And it's especially critical during times of crisis. That is something that we found that during times of crisis, the ways that we act in the world change, right? All of how we're thinking and seeing the world changes. And in that unfreezing, there is an opportunity to shape new mindsets, to create new powerful connections, to reinvent, right? To reinvent how we do business. So to your point about many, many organizations are in uh, in survival mode, really looking at balance sheets that, that are, are quite depressing, we would offer that now more than ever is a time for rethinking and retooling and really creatively remapping what, what business you are in and could be in. And, you know, there's another, there's really another strong case and argument that one of your most prized assets at this time that you must hold on to are, are your greatest people, right? Your talent. And the folks in your organization who are most valuable to you, you now is the time to invest in them so strongly. And if it can't be financial, then it has to be emotional. What will they get from this employment contract if you have to compromise on some of the extrinsic motivators like compensation? You know, now is the time to really show how much you care about them as people. With, with your company, what have you been doing in these last couple of, let's say, weeks of, of since this COVID-19 came out? I mean, how have you been using your recipe yourself, so to say, to keep inspired and to adapt your organization if you've done that already? Even before all of this happened, one of our core values is really walking our talk. <laughs> we can't promise certain results in an organization that we can't produce in our organization. So, you know, very, very early on, it was, so today is March 31st. So I would say it was probably three and a half, four weeks ago when um, we got the, you know, our first client who's in financial services and took a, a more conservative stand informed us that they were going to work from home for all their 500 employees. And it was in that moment that it hit me. I was like, they're forward thinking because they're global and run more conservatively. This is the tip of the spear. Like we, we have to prepare. So immediately we, we started to activate a lot of the tools that we use with companies internally as a, as a framework for modeling and as a framework for performing at our best in the face of big change and crisis. It's almost like wearing, wearing several different hats, if you will. But I can tell you that it was, we got that word on a Friday. My co-founders, we have two co-CEOs. Um, there are three of us who hold the CEO title and and our founding partners, we got together that weekend and we mapped out what we knew needed to happen at least for the next two weeks. Just the list of right away, we needed financial contingency planning, like modeling out through at least through the end of the year. Right away, 
we needed a new meeting and communication structure so that we could be sharing what we're learning and how our priorities needed to shift. Right away, we needed to make a, you know, a blanket communication to the team that our priorities and goals that we had set for the year, that we were going to need the team to be actively reevaluating those in the coming weeks. We actually wanted to get the team involved in that reprioritization. So those were some of the big changes right away. Uh, oh, and there was another one. We needed to expand and reshape our current service and product offering to be most relevant to the needs that we knew were going to be coming forward, right? So different needs, organizations we knew were going to have different needs in crisis than they do not in crisis. And for some of our organizations, they're actually in incredible crises of having to grow and scale, right? We, we support some technology companies that they are just trying to keep up with the demand for their products and, and services. So lucky for us, we had some of those high growth companies within our client portfolio as well. That was what we did about a month ago. And then, um, I mean, I'll, I'll share with you that as we quickly started to build out and blow out new curriculum around crisis, we also were just piloting that with our people. So for instance, we implemented a 30-minute meeting every morning at 8 o'clock. 30-minute meeting where we applied a practice that we call the 4321 agenda practice. In that agenda, what it allows for is it gives a nice balance between people actually checking in about how they are, how they're doing personally, and how they're doing in terms of their emotions and stress management, and getting critical updates and information sharing done. So both of those things. I can share with you that the, the 4321 stands for that at the four, you start with more appreciation and opportunities that are present, right? So it's it's kind of starting with more of the good news, right? That there is things that have inspired us in our world. You know, we're seeing the best of the best leadership. That's what crisis can bring out. Not to mention it can bring out the worst of the worst, right? Everything from, you know, kind of like Yoda to Darth Vader. So the four in the 4321 is is this opportunity to get everyone really tuned into some positive emotions and you and you launch the meeting that's how you you start the meeting and the next you move into a bit more tactical like what are we learning and what needs to happen and you know what are the key updates that we need to share across the team at a pretty high level like this project has shifted or this new client partner has come into focus or you know we have a resources web page that's going live by noon what communication paths will need to get tripped after that? Like those kinds of big. And then the two is really about what we're learning in this process. Like if we're able to observe ourselves, like what are we noticing are some of the best practices that are really working? How can we capitalize on those? And what are some of the opportunities or things we're doing that are not really working? And how can we shift? And then we close the meeting with always, always a deep appreciation, really seeing one another's strengths 
and using one another, asking for help where needed, but just a deep appreciation for the work that people are doing and the strengths, the diversity of strengths that we have on the team. So that's where some like shout outs can happen. Now you can run through that agenda as you know, as you become more familiar with it, you can do it in, in a matter of five or 10 minutes. It can be a very, very efficient flow. We did the practice of holding 30 minutes for it for our core team of eight every day. That's great. Uh, and it's so, so, so important to keep, uh, keep in touch because are you working uh, from home, all of you now, or? We all are. As soon as we got word from our first client, we kind of, we hedged and said, let's follow suit. We think, you know, based on the nature of our work, we can move online quite, quite flexibly. And uh, I've seen actually on online, I have just happened to see on, on Simon Sinek and, and the team that they have, how they also uh, do very, uh, once or twice a day these touchdown uh, meetings of, of, of the similar sort. And I saw that he posted one thing that I think is extremely important, especially in the in this business of, of service. And he says, there is a difference between offering a service and being willing to serve. They may both include giving, but only one is generous. And I think that's so well said, because at this very moment in time, as you said, great leadership is is demonstrated and seen and noticed. And also this ability of empathy, where does your sense of service come from? You know, so really, uh, if it comes from the generous side, that's really building the brand and the loyalty and everything you wish. So, well, and I would tie this back to one of your early comments in the interview about, you know, are, are we moving from a place of fear and scarcity or are we moving from a place of stability and generosity and abundance? You know, I think all of us, if we're being honest, are toggling back and forth quite a lot lately um, based on what's happening for us both personally and professionally. However, as leaders, we do have a responsibility to keep a pulse on moving ourselves to the place of generativity, to the place of generosity, and to be in service, to be of service more. So true. But going back to you, Jen, where, what is what I would call your, your passion, you know, the, that thing that you're also willing to suffer for, you know, if needed? I have this particular phrase that has has moved me um, and activated me for quite a long time. And the phrase is that I believe it is a birthright for people to be inspired in their work. And this really came from my experiences in my 20s, where I had um, positions at several large, very you know, prestigious marquee companies, Fortune 500 companies. I witnessed the difference when people loved their work. I watched different leaders and, you know, especially in a leadership role, when you love your work and you pay attention to the craft of management and leadership, just the impact, the positive impact, the waves of positivity and, and over time, over years that this can, you know, that the time value on having really positive formative experiences early on in your career and then I also saw the difference that it made when people were suffering or not well aligned to a role or didn't love the nature of their work and the impact that that had all around them. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was about the time I turned 30 that I 
decided I, I had to do something about this, that this was a worthy cause in the world. And this was my passion, that if I could support people to choose careers and to craft roles and um, work that they loved, that I could do my part in changing the world. Yeah, that's beautiful. And also, um, I mean, I know you have um, have a, a master's degree in, in applied positive psychology and a bachelor in industrial organization psychology. But how do you feel now that you've, how, you, how are you practically using this muscle and all of this knowledge and the research you've done, in addition to the book you, you've just uh, recently co-authored, uh, Dare to Inspire, Sustain the Fire of Inspiration in Work and Life. How do you use that in a concrete way if somebody is hiring you in a, in a company, for example? What is it that happens and what is it that you deliver, so to say? So it can look lots of different ways, but I'll, I'll give you a couple examples of how it looks. One of the key leverage points for um, organizational health and effectiveness happens through the leaders of that company. And so one of our favorite places to design interventions is for a leadership body. So that might look like a high level cohort group of leaders It might look like leaders from a particular division. It might look like an executive board. And what we do is we understand their business. So it's quite customized. We look to understand their business and their strategy. And then what we do is we design an inspiration strategy for those leaders to support them to be most inspired in executing on that strategy. I've seen also uh, some kind of empirical uh, data and research uh, that has been done and published on your website and so on, that the inspiration doubles productivity and so on. And yet one in eight or so on, on average are inspired. So there's a huge, huge uh, performance opportunity that everybody must say yes to, I guess. Imagine that everyone in your company was having their best day more often. And usually people get that. They're like, oh, Yeah, I know what I know what my best day feels like. I know what that looks like. I know what I produce. What if you could scale that? What if at every employee at every level, what if what if you could produce best days more often? We will have different transformational points in our lives. Um, what are those for you and how have they influenced you the most? Certainly becoming a mother was wildly reshaping for me. <laughs> I mean, there really is kind of nothing like it in terms of, you know, just rocking your identity and rocking your what you do every day and your sense of responsibility in the world and your value set. I mean, it's pretty intense. I mean, and and it was about the time that that I started the company. So my my son was three when, you know, I, I had kind of just gotten through the woods of of raising a little one when I, I knew that I now was the time to make this impact in the world. But I would say that he was certainly formative in, in that idea. I, you know, I actually think this period, even though we're only a month in right now, I think this is going to be transformational for all of us. I can tell you already, I just got chills when I said it. I can tell you right now that my own sense of mortality has shifted my sense of seizing the moment, seizing the day, the quality of presence that I want to bring to my own life. 
the things that I want to get done and the things that I want to let go of, how I want to reinvent my own work. I mean, I'll be like completely transparent and vulnerable with you. I have spent too much time on airplanes traveling and missing out on things that are really important to me. And just in the last month, it's so clear to me that a lot of that doesn't actually have to happen. So I'm excited about some of the opportunities for um, building more meaning and more fulfillment through my work and and with, with my community and my family. If we park the natural, maybe some parts that you would call anxiety and fear and so on, that everybody has a little bit of, at least in this moment, if we only focus on what great stuff can come out of this, because, I mean, it would definitely become a disappointment to all of us if we would just go back to square one and just continue as usual once we get this uh, virus under control, right? But if we dream about what would we like this to lead to, for, for people and for, for the whole system, for the whole planet. What would you put on that wish list? More intention as a people, more thoughtfulness, not taking our planet for granted, not taking our lives for granted, more kindness daily, more generosity. Yeah, I, I would love all of that as well, definitely. Uh, my only, like, sort now is since we are not supposed to be physically close to each other there is this physical distancing rather i would say and social uh happening and it will probably be so for quite a bit of a time maybe the whole rest of this year and uh, if that happens i feel at least because i've been in this um closed up loop here in in milan for the last six seven weeks i'm very isolated and i feel like um we have a physical need to socialize with people and it doesn't, it can't be replaced only with digital stuff. I mean, it's really, you have that need. And if you're lucky to be locked up in, in your home with your at least family, uh, you're not alone, but there's so many people out there that are alone. I mean, this is a tough, tough period of time. And once things are loosening up and we get a little bit more control over over the situation and we can go out and socialize a little bit. This whole social pattern of how we are interacting with each other as people, as professionals and everything, I'm just hoping that we can get back together physically as well because otherwise um, it will be somehow not natural, right? Yeah, I love where you're going and I, I actually haven't haven't had any of those thoughts. So it's it's really stimulating to me to even hear about I think you're a little further along the curve than I than I am, right? Like I mean, like literally you've been in it for eight weeks and we've we've been in it for four. But I love that your mind is going there. And I think we're gonna need a re-entry plan. I think every one of us. I think we're going to need to recognize how difficult this has been. I think especially for folks who have had to do this completely alone, there is trauma there, right? Like never in our lives have we been isolated for this long of a period of time, unless you are, you know, like shipwrecked or something like, which, <laughs> like not, not many people, you know, you hear about, about kids getting very sick when they're young and being quarantined at different different situations. And I think we're going to have to lean on some of the experts in trauma to understand what could healthy reentry look like? How can we make the most of 
of this process and bring ourselves and one another back together. There's a fantastic idea and domain of research in positive psychology, in the psychology literature that is called um, post-traumatic growth. So many of us know about the concept of post-traumatic stress because it's been studied widely. It's been, you know, the, the grant monies were readily available to study folks coming back from war. This concept of post-traumatic growth is, I think, equally, if not more important, which is um, that, you know, through, through a lot of trauma and a lot of hardship, there are many, many people who actually grow stronger from it. And there are certain conditions that make that possible and make it present. And one of the conditions is that they're able to make sense of the hardship, right? They actually have a narrative or a story that helps them see how it can be of use to them. So, you know, I think, you know, leaning on some of the research in post-traumatic growth, certainly trauma, I think we're going to need all of that. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you kind of an interesting story. I have a, a grandmother who's still alive, right? She's in Florida and she and, and my grandfather are both still alive, but they've been separated because my grandfather had a condition and, but, you know, had been living fairly independently, you know, in an assisted living home in their, both in their early nineties and they were separated in the last couple months and, um, you know, just to watch how, how hard it's been on them after 50 years together. But I, I can also tell you that, you know, the connections that, that my grandmother is able to make on the phone and, and now through a little bit of FaceTime here and there, you can see the difference that that's making. We also sent her some stuffed animals, uh, you know, because she needs things around her that are soft and warm and you know, sweet. Uh, and she most appreciates, you know, some of the animals that we've, that we've sent along. But it, I think it is also a reminder of the opportunity that we have every day to be orchestrating, you know, some of the important connections and the, the things that, that our healthy human systems need. You know, we, in positive psychology, it really breaks out into, into five elemental things. We need positive emotions. We need a sense of engagement in, you know, productive work. We need relationships. We need meaning that, you know, what we do in, in our lives matter, that we have purpose beyond ourselves. We matter to others. We're making a difference. And we need a sense of achievement. We actually need to feel like progress is happening. <laughs> It's a true challenge. How do you orchestrate that, you know, all by yourself in the same room when you're ready to scream at your kids? But I, you know, I can tell you it can be done and we can share best practices on it. Hmm. <laughs> but, but but also all of the, all of these five points are easy you were mentioning now. I mean, if people are for the time being at least locked in and locked up and they're for example, clients are saying yes, but later and so on. They cannot act. They cannot move. And it's not only about becoming virtual or do things digitally. It's about really not being able to do your job as before. And you just stay 
put and in some kind of waiting mode, being frustrated that you cannot be of value and cre create value or even you know support people around you because you are in this situation. And there's a lot of, I think, professional roles that will be in that kind of weird, frustrating situation for, for months. At least here around me in, in, in Milan, where I'm now, I have a lot of people that I know who have already lost their jobs. Companies are going... Um, bankrupt, uh, especially the smaller ones, unfortunately. And it's also making me frustrated because I see all these huge giants. They will just come out of this without a problem, you know, because they have the liquidity for it. And the younger, newer companies with maybe up to 100 and 200 people as, as staff or so with beautiful ideas that have been working on circular economy models and all of these things done so much right, they are the ones that can be sacrificed now. And it's so frustrating to see. It does. It feels so wrong. It almost feels like just a, a bad timing issue, right? It's like, why now? But, you know, I, I do think getting, you know, we, we talk about this in our book. There are some options for some. There are entire workforces that may be willing to go down to half-time pay rather than, you know, being laid off if given the choice. There may be companies that can kind of freeze their production and their assets and, you know, come back. I don't know what that would look like exactly, but now is the time to get very creative, to be sure. There may be companies that weren't planning to be acquired quite this quickly, but big companies might really need their services. So now might be a time to accelerate the idea of an acquisition. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen also a couple of companies that are lending each other production, you know, resources and, and people and, and so on. Beautiful. Yeah. And channel partnerships, creative channel partnerships that have never existed before. Yep. So it's all, I mean, going to work out somehow, but but it's, it's kind of um, painful to be not like actively involved in resolving it. But when we talk about this kind of long-term perspective, what long-term formula for businesses in general, do you actually believe in? Like, is there a common denominator? <laughs> yeah, the common denominator is you you go as scrappy and conservative as, as you possibly can. You go, you know, with cuts, you go conservative and deeper sooner, you know, given the projections that are coming out, just to, you know, not stretch this out for people, like, you know, to really plan for some kind of a model that you think is going to take you through the end of the year and beyond and to execute on that and to support the people who you can keep on and to you know support the people in whatever way you can who you have to let go of you know all of that is really best practice i think another best practice and of course you have to be crazy thoughtful and empathetic in how you do all of this. It is the difference. You know, who communicates to whom and what do they say and what's the timing of it and what choices can you give to employees at every turn? Where can you give choice? I think another really great best practice is, and this is this is one of the things that we're doing, you know, for the next three months, we are just giving, we are just giving to everyone who needs it. There's a standing offer, you know, we are we are offering coaching. This is true for your audience, if this is relevant and resonant. 
we will find someone on our team who is available to support you if you need coaching. Our work is making a difference. We know it's the right thing to do. We trust it will all come back, right? It will, there will be long pathways of paying it forward now will all be realized. We'll all come through it together. So, you know, I think, I think just giving is a really good strategy right now. Yeah, and, and and you yeah, exactly. And you can just hope that people are also reaching out and, you know, asking for, for help and so on, because some people can also be trapped in this leadership role of, of I need to figure this out. I need to know what to do. I can't ask for help because this is the ultimate proof of leadership if I can manage this situation. So I won't kind of reach out to ask people for help, right? So um, it's very much more common than 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 I thought actually, this kind of behavior. But if we would dream a little bit and try at least to set these uh, um, COVID um, challenges aside for a while and think um, that you have all doors open to you and all kinds of resources available to you now, in that case, what would you innovate or change, you know, be it in your world or elsewhere? We dream about building technology and platforms that help us to understand and measure inspiration across systems. That's something that I dream about quite often. You know, ways to understand inspiration, new ways to understand inspiration, new ways to measure it, ways to get pulses on it such that it can be actionable in organizations, that we can understand that, you know, inspiration is strong over here in the organization and it's waning over here and what could that be caused from and really troubleshoot quickly and and infuse the right leadership structure or uh, the right conversations and intervention quickly. So that's, I I think about just becoming more precise about um, how we manage inspiration as a most valuable resource in organizations. And if you could give um, one piece of advice to leaders, uh, what would that be? And, and let, let's first also define what is leader. What is a leader for you? Yeah, I mean, we we actually think about leadership it happens at every level. So it's how how we lead in our lives. It's not hierarchy. You know, when we refer to leaders in organizations, we're often talking about folks who have direct reports or who have responsibility for managing others. But I think this applies to all leaders. And and I would say that the advice that I would give is pick a career like your life depends on it, Uh, because we spend 90,000 hours of our lives in our work. Pick a career as if your life depends on it, because it does. Pick a career you're willing to sacrifice your life for, because you will. And the difference that gratifying, fulfilling, meaningful work makes in a life, it's so worthwhile. I so agree. (laughs) No, I can tell you love your work. You really do. It's so clear. Mm. But if you were to give yourself an advice, let's say 10, 15 years ago or so, what would that be? Oh, don't wait to start the company is what I would have said. (laughs) Like start it now and don't be afraid to Bust down doors when you don't know how to do something or you need someone or you are hoping to connect with someone. I mean, that's, that's I would say, one of my biggest learnings in the last five years is I got some coaching and some mentorship on just how to connect with anyone on the planet, how to get their attention 
how to create a relationship that can be mutually beneficial and valuable. I used to think, oh, what would that person want to talk with me about, right? Or they're totally out of my league. And I just don't think that way anymore. And the doors that have opened are just remarkable. So it's it's pretty empowering to feel like you have something to offer to anyone in the world. That's so true. And, and all of that is so connected to self-worth, but also self-love, right? And that comes, I guess, also with age. You realize more and more somehow all the beautiful reasons why you should actually appreciate, respect, and love yourself. And if you do then everybody else will, right? It's, it's a mirror image. I know. I love getting older. I love it. <laughs> I mean, not everybody says that, but there, there is something magical about getting older. What I find very interesting is that if I need to get in touch with somebody, as you say, oh, wow, very important, busy people and so on, I always think about the fact that the reason I do it is much bigger than myself and bigger than them, Right. So that's like the wavelength I put myself on, which gives me, I guess, the, the energy and sometimes also a flow that I can reach them. And I have reached a lot of people that are like impossible to reach, so to say. So I guess that helps a lot. I agree. And what do you think um, is the most important thing for all companies out there now to focus on right now, apart from, uh, you know, damage control in terms of COVID-19? People's well-being. I think that you need to just acknowledge that they're human systems that are going to bring you through this. And what do healthy human systems need the most? So you almost want to shift your dashboard from, you know, some of the, once you've got your, your financial contingency plans in place, there's not much more you can do about it to your point, right? You're kind of waiting it out or you, you have tiger teams that jump on quick revenue generating alternatives. We have that going on. I, I know there are a lot of companies that have that going on. And then, and then when, you know, when you've, when you've exhausted that or you are, have that going in tandem, then I think you, you create a different dashboard around people's well-being and how are we doing in terms of the human health of the organization and what people, what people need the most. So true. And, and my, my, um, uh, my final question is, wh what do you think the world needs most at this uh, time? We need hope and we need faith and we also need each other. Yeah, and it's a, a beauty in that because in this modern world of ours where everybody has been, you know, running fast and, and, and being so incredibly busy, Uh, doing and not so much being busy being there is a beautiful thing about needing each other as well because it reminds us of the fact that we are all you know part of the water drops of the same sea so to say and um, and we are intertwined and, and and linked together so in the midst of chaos it's beautiful i agree i agree Well, let's you and I definitely reconnect on the other side of this also, right? This will be such an interesting yeah. <laughs> point in time for us to reflect on. Definitely. And so, so just out of curiosity, how was it to be on the podcast, Jen? Oh, I loved it. It was cathartic. It was, you know, I, I feel very clear and calm and purposeful. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks, uh, Jen. Thanks so much. Thanks for sharing everything. And um, 
And to find out more, people can head to your website, of course. I will post all uh, links and show notes on uh, corporateunplugged.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing Jen. And also, please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. And um, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao, Jen. Ciao.